Welcome to Crime Wire on the Inside Lens Network, with programming dedicated to bringing attention to unsolved crimes and educating the public about various types of crimes and how to avoid becoming a victim. If you'd like to submit a case to Crime Wire or suggest a topic for a future show, please email us at denny at dennisngriffin.biz. You can also like us on Facebook at the new Crime Wire. My name is Denny Griffin, and my co-host, Delilah Jones of ImaginePublicity.com. Hi, Delilah. Hey, Denny. How's everything today? Going great? It absolutely is, and how are you? Perfect. I just want to I just want to talk a little bit before we get started, just very briefly about the Inside Lens Network, um, just so that listeners know we've been around since before podcast was cool, and done. We've got over six hundred episodes, Denny. I don't know if you realize that, but that's how long we've been doing this. Um, our current wow. shows. Uh, we have Crime Wire Force, which is this show, Shattered Lives with host Donna Gore. I do Imagine Publicity on air, do author interviews and other types of interviews. Um, Pat, we, we've got a new project coming up called The Transparency Project, and we'll be doing some episodes um, highlighting cases that are involved in that. So I hope everyone will Sub, uh, subscribe to us on iTunes and and anywhere you get um, your podcasting from. So that's a little bit about Inside Lens. So I hope everyone enjoys this particular episode. Well, thank you, Delilah. And I know I didn't realize 600 episodes. I'm feeling a little older as we speak. Uh, thank you for that. Uh, Brendan Dassey was sentenced to life in prison for the 2007 murder of photographer Teresa Halbach. He has asked the Supreme Court to throw out a confession he made a decade ago, once again raising the question of whether he was wrongfully implicated in the death documented in the 2015 Netflix program, Making a Murderer. It featured footage from a police interrogation of Dassey, then 16 years old, in which he confessed to aiding his uncle, Stephen Avery, in the rape and murder of Halbach. This confession, made in the absence of parents or guardians, was used as the primary evidence against him. The legal team representing Dassey filed for a judicial review, highlighting his intellectual and social limitations. They think the footage demonstrates that law enforcement officials wrongfully prompted him to confess by feeding him information after he was unable to recount what happened to Halbeck. With Dassey's current appeal now in the federal courts, we are going to discuss with our guest, Chad Keller, author of Beyond Avery Road, feels the state purposely coerced Brendan Dassey and why it is important that his conviction needs to be overturned immediately. If you haven't watched the Netflix's uh, production, Making a Murderer, I'll give you a little more background. On March 1, 2006, Dassey was the very first juvenile interrogated in Wisconsin under video surveillance by a new mandated state law. 16 years old at the time and with a learning disability, he confessed to allegedly helping Stephen Avery, his uncle, rape and murder Hallback on Halloween Day of 2005. In a recent 2017 appeal, several federal judges sitting on a panel felt that Dassey was coerced, but he is yet to be released. Now let me welcome today's guests, the previously mentioned Chad Keller, and a Wisconsin political insider we'll call Juan. Gentlemen, welcome to the show. Thanks for having us on, Denny. Thank you very much. Uh, so, Chad, why is Dassey still in jail? Well, the reason he's still in jail is because the state does not want him, the state of Wisconsin does not want him released, um, because if they have to release Dassey, then pretty much Stephen Avery has a chance of getting out. And they have got their, apparently, their heels dug in as far as wanting to keep 
Dashi in jail, right? They're, they're committed that's, to that. That's correct. They're they're committed to keep him both in prison. Okay, and the concern, as you said, is if Dashi gets out, then Avery would have a shot at a release as well. Right, and and you know when you have um, co um, crimes committed, it's it's not uncommon for one person to get out and the other to remain in life in prison. But I think with the circumstances, with the evidence, the only thing that really ties Stephen Avery to Hallback's murder is this bullet. And if they can prove that Brendan's confession was coerced, um, then the bullet's really no good for the state. To, as as a theory of Stephen Avery shot and killed her. Well, you know, John, I think okay, no. everybody in America has probably seen or heard about this case. I know um, it, it, it really created a big buzz, and it, it amazes me. Why this case? Why was this case... Um, when there's so many people who are wrongfully convicted and exonerated and and so forth, why did this case make such a splash? Do you think it's the the political background of it all, or do you think there's actually something within this? I mean, I I watched Dassey's confession and and I was kind of taken aback by the whole operation myself. And so you're saying if this bullet Explain to listeners about the bullet because there's a lot of controversy about that to begin with, right? Yeah, the bullet. Um, and to answer your question first about the um, about why people are taken aback, um, a lot of people don't really understand the political um, ties behind this case. I mean, the convictions are direct. Um, reflection of a political agenda, and that's why I wrote the book Beyond Avery Road. And as, as far as the bullet itself, they they have some of the most unethical ties um, in the case that people need to understand. And I, I mean the 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 twenty two caliber bullet itself, it wasn't even allowed to be put in through the NIBIN program, which is the National Database for Ballistics. Um, the casing of the bullet was made of a nickel plating that would um, deteriorate um, over a period of time, and it wasn't suitable for going into this program. So the bullet supposedly sat in Stephen Avery's garage in the winter for four months, and then it was tested with Hallback's um, DNA on it, and quite frankly, if you leave a bullet like that in the garage for so long, there's there's not going to be any DNA on it over the time. So, and and the the um, attorney general, Peg Lautenschlager, who just recently died over the weekend of brain cancer, um, she protected the junk science of the state of Wisconsin's crab, crime lab. Um, Sherry Colhane, who did the testing, she contaminated this bullet on the 12th of April of 2006, and then Lautenschlager turns around, you know, 18 days later on May 5th of 2006, and states that um, their crime lab is up to date, and they now um, allow 22 caliber bullets to be submitted into this testing program. But it wasn't until nine years later that the state of Wisconsin got the suitable equipment to test 22 caliber bullets. It was nine years later, and she, Lottie Schlager, protected this junk science and, and allowed the state to convict both Stephen Avery and Brandon Dassey on this bullet. Uh, let me... Um just ask a couple of questions here, if I might. Um, if, first, maybe we can have Juan address the political aspect of this. Uh, uh, Juan has special knowledge of that. Juan, would you care to uh, tell the listeners what the political situation is from your perspective? 
Well, the political situation is uh, very similar to most political situations in this is a huge CYA uh, event. Um, now, of course, this all leads to motive. You know, what is the real motive and how far back does this go? But um, everything that, that Chad's pointed out in his book has basically, um, has basically stated that this was a railroading from the beginning. And, um, and to answer your question from before, uh, when you ask, it's like, what made this such a splash is because, um, and there's a local radio talk show who talks about this all the time. You know, when you hear about something, you say, well, that, that's a tragedy. But when you see it is when you really start to think, wow. And when a lot of America, um, you know, you, you've got the cold case and FBI files, you know, you, you look at it and it's almost a character on TV, even though it's a real person that the story's being told. But they actually saw what happened to Stephen Avery and Brendan Dassey, and they thought, you know, that that could be me. And that's why it really hit to say, well, if this could happen to them, then that means this could happen to me. And then, of course, you've got everything going on, you know, nowadays with the, the high, high levels of government. And it's a scary situation. And I usually equate it to um, uh, the race relations of the 60s. You know, nothing really happened until people started seeing what was really happening down south um, on TV. So when they finally saw it on TV, they said, wow. Um, but uh, when it comes to the political aspect of it, basically, Chad's book titled Beyond Avery Road, most people aren't looking beyond Avery Road. They're looking at Manitowoc County. They're looking at people that are involved directly there and not tying anything back to Madison, uh, which, of course, ends with the now late Peg Lautenschlager. So um, finding out what, what really went on uh, now that she's gone, it, it might actually, um, I guess, since the dam is broken, uh, the floodwaters might actually uh, seed those fields, I guess, uh, for lack of a better term, uh, if that answers your question. It does. Uh, thank you, Ann. And CYA, I got to tell you, uh, my experience has been dealing with various governmental agencies uh, in these uh, homicide cases or suspicious death cases. Uh, people attempting to CYA or agencies attempting to CYA is not at all uncommon uh, in my experience. So that's. Uh, that certainly fits in with uh, with my understanding of how these things work. Um, next thing, and uh, Chad, this is, is one is for you. This uh, Brendan's interrogation was the first juvenile uh, where the interrogation was done under video surveillance uh, because of the new state law. I'm curious about that as to First of all, who actually was handling the interrogation, what agency or what specific investigators? And it just seems funny to me, uh, and, and I, I used to work in law enforcement in New York State. Obviously, laws are vary from state to state, and I'm going back over 30 years so uh, with this experience. But when you in, interviewed or interrogated a juvenile – we were required to have a parent or guardian there uh, during the interrogation or the interview. And uh, with this being video recorded, it's surprising to me that they did this interrogation without a parent or guardian. Now, that seems odd to me. How does it... Uh, what is your opinion of that? Right. Um, uh, there was a new law that had just recently passed. It was mandated to um, record the juveniles. Um, Brendan Dassey was the very first um, juvenile recorded in the state of Wisconsin that was mandated. Um, he was he was um, investigated by Mark Wiegert of um, Calumet County. He's an investigator and special agent um, from the DCI office of Madison, Tom Fassbender. Um, Tom Fassbender um, was trained prior to this um, March 1st 
coercion, alleged coercion, um, if you want to call it. Um, and and it was a um, the the training of law enforcement for the for custodial interrogations was mandated by Peg Lautenschlager herself, and the training um, commenced in December of 2005. Um, just you know, just months before. Dassey was interrogated and that's the thing um um on the 27th of february um fox hills they brought all the Dassey brothers there's five five brothers in total and they interviewed all five of them um because brendan Dassey was a juvenile at the time he was supposed to be monitored on video surveillance now the the funny thing is is you have the 27th and the 28th that he was videotaped under because it was a new law, but um, the state says Fassbender and Mark Weger they say that those videotapes were messed up, um, so you only have the March 1st surveillance. But technically, you should have surveillance of Brendan Dassey from the 27th and 28th because it was a three-day period of interrogations. And I, I don't know why his attorney hasn't moved to have everything thrown out because you're lacking the first two days of his video interrogation. And it's like um, they say you messed up. How do you mess up a videotape? I mean, you just hit play and it records and whatever happens, happens, you know. And is it messed up because they didn't get the confession beforehand and then they just waited to use the one video they wanted on March 1st when they when they coerced him and fed him everything to say it's it's kind of disturbing that they passed this law and Fassbender was trained in Madison under the the Department of Justice director Ken Hammond and Jerry Buting who wrote the law who who that name sounds familiar to everybody because Jerry Buting would be Stephen Avery's attorney, and it's just disturbing that that with Barb Yonda being absent, who is Brendan Dassey's mother, um, she should have been there in the video. Um, Buting should have blown a whistle. Somebody should have blown a whistle to Peg Lautenschlager and said, hey, look, we just trained this agent in Madison at the state capitol, and here he is only three months later, and... He's done messed up the very first recording in Wisconsin. I mean, it goes to show that if no one's blowing whistles, that they're purposely doing it. So the legal team representing uh, Dacey, uh like you say, you were surprised they haven't moved to have everything thrown out. Uh, are, are, do they appear to be pretty competent to you other than – you know what you're saying here about throwing this evidence out. Uh, how how do you rate the overall representation that Mr. Dassey is receiving? Um, Dassey's had numerous appeals, and I feel that one of his main attorneys um, could be a a pawn for the state. Um, he's had ample time to. In, in the past 13 years to really bring up um, Lautenschlager's um, was she she released a um, a policy a model policy on the recording of juveniles and it come out on February 23rd of 2005 and Stephen Drizzen one of Dassey's main attorneys was was present in Madison County. And, or not not Madison County, but Madison at the, around the state capitol for her model policy to be released. And since that time and period has passed, he has never said, okay, because um, when she releases this, it's only 24th, 25th, 26th, 27th, 28th, March 1st. It's six days after she releases her statement and her policy and her model that Brendan Dassey gets released, and with Stephen Drizzen being present for that and never, never bringing it up in the appeals to reflect her um, policy of how Brendan Dassey was coerced and how it was 
and how his entire interrogation was was completely illegal it to me it just says that um she has attorneys that she point pinpointed purposely into this case and she even says in uh, I I on Akash video in February of 2007 that she had the top attorneys at her dispense working for her and the top attorneys in 2007 at her dispense would have been Jerry Buden, Dean Strang, um, and 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 Lynn Lincoln who was um, Brenda's attorney who got thrown out and everything because he didn't he felt Brendan Dassey was guilty so they had to dismiss him. Uh, Juan, do you do you think from the political perspective here we've already? Uh, Discuss that there's a political interest in keeping Mr. Dassey in jail and the CYA movement. So the the state, with all its power, and if they're appointing, uh, you know, presumably that the Chad doesn't have the resources to to hire his uh, specific lawyers, he's getting uh, appointed lawyers. Um, do you think it's beyond the state to manipulate? Who gets appointed, or do you think it's possible that, uh, as Chad says, that they're they're getting specific, uh, you know, representation favorable to the state? Oh, I can guarantee it's it's representation favorable to the state because uh, I've seen numerous times. And it's just like anything, you know. Um, I mean, how many people out there are, are sitting there listening to this? All right. Well, working at a desk at a job that they're there because, you know, they got an in, you know, from somebody. Uh, politics is no different than the cliche of politics makes for strange bedfellows is a cliche for a reason. Um, I've personally seen uh, and I, I want to say some examples, but uh, I can't without feeling <laughs> certain things. But, uh, no, it, it's definitely, uh, you know, politics is, is no uh, different a derivation from human behavior. Um, and everything points to it. And there's certain things that, that Drizzen uh, has connections to, and I'm sure Chad could probably fill you in um, uh, better than that. Uh, everybody in this case is connected to one another somehow, um, if you go back far enough. I mean, all the way back uh, – uh, you know, uh, Ken Kratz, uh, Lautenschlager, Fossbender, uh, all these people have ties somewhere. And uh, in, from uh, research that I've done, uh, it goes even higher than that. And that's just the nature of politics itself. So it doesn't surprise me one bit. Um, and, and honestly, most things can be, you know, uh, explained away. I mean, how many times, regardless of what it is, as a politician, oh, well, that was just this. Oh, well, that was just this. Uh, and we've seen it time and time again. And honestly, it's because, you know, it's the uh, it's like the, the the lawyers and the politicians. What do you call a thousand lawyers at the bottom of the, uh, the ocean? A good start. Same thing with a politician. They talk out of two sides of their mouth. It's, it's a cliche <laughs> for a reason. Um, so, yeah, I it, hands down. Uh, I firmly believe that all of this and, and you can even go and, and um, you know, Drizzen, uh, Knight Rider. I'm not so certain on, on Knight Rider. Then again. She left the case. Why do you, Why would you leave the biggest case of your career to go do something else if, if there was not, you know, some sort of underlying reason for it? So I have a sneaky suspicion that she probably knows more than. So even the people who aren't um, uh, involved, per se, um, realize uh, how deep this goes, in my opinion. Yeah, it, with the resources of the state, uh you know, in play, it seems to me, uh, especially if uh, if there are any issues with the uh, with the attorneys assigned to Mr. Dassey, it it seems to me that it's going to be very difficult, or at least a tough battle, to try to get the uh, the conviction overturned, or of justice for Mr. Dassey. So uh, when I see these things, it bothers me. And I think Delilah can confirm that we, on our uh, other Crime Wire episodes, there's some 600 of them, I guess. And 
what's going to be coming up in our transparency project shows is these cover-ups are not uncommon and it's very tough to fight the government. Uh, I'm, so I'm, I'm hoping that, uh, you know, that Mr. Dacey gets a fair airing of, uh, of his positions. Delilah, I think we may have, uh, have lost our guests. Yes, we have. Hopefully they will call right back in. Um, yeah, because I, you know, it still boggles my mind on how, how twisted this whole case is and how many layers of the onion there are to peel back. Um, and why, why? I mean, Stephen Avery was not, to my knowledge, he wasn't a politically connected person. He he ran a, uh, what do you call those, where they put all the old cars. <laughs> you know what I'm trying to say. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, you know, so why, I don't understand the why behind it is is what I would like to ask our our guests if they have the opportunity to call back in. Um, I haven't seen them yet, but um, it, it's just a very, very complicated thing when you add this whole political agenda into it. I think, I, I, I watched the whole series. Did you watch it as well, Denny? Well, I'm probably one of the few people in America that had never heard of this case until now. Yeah, ah. I, I did. I watched the whole thing Hello? and I was just, hi, I'm so happy you got back in. One of the questions that Denny and I were talking about when you were off the air is, how did how did all of this go back to the beginning, to the beginning of, of Stephen Avery being wrongfully convicted for, I don't remember what now, but he was wrongfully convicted. Then he was exonerated. What is it in all of this political agenda that we're hearing about and all of, all of the layers of this onion? Why was, why Stephen Avery of all people? Well, Stephen Avery. um, Okay. When he's exonerated in 2003, he gets exonerated for the rape and attempted murder of Penny Bernstein from 1985. DNA clears him, and at this point, Peg Lautenschlager was the Attorney General of Wisconsin. And when Stephen gets exonerated, there was 900 other people in in counties around Wisconsin that sent in their letters to have um, the Wisconsin Innocent Project review their case. Well, at the time, there wasn't a law in effect um, that mandated Wisconsin to keep DNA evidence. So, of all these 900 people that are that had had uh, wrote to the Wisconsin Innocent Project, Peg Lautenschlager, who controls the state budget at the time, um, you got you got to think there there's a there was a petition that Stephen Avery filed before he filed his his civil suit for thirty six million dollars, and the petition was for one point one million dollars. It was to secure those funds. It was it was a, a legal um, avenue to get reimbursed for spending eighteen years in prison on his sentence wrongfully accused. If these nine hundred people went free, just like Stephen Avery. The state would have a one billion dollar project on it, um, problem on its hand. So, um, not to tie up the other people going free, Lautenschlager actually made a district attorney present in the Wisconsin Innocent Project, which is unheard of to send a, a district attorney there. Um, and they would they would hand select and review the cases, and then over a third of these 900 people were told that their evidence had been destroyed and no longer existed. So that that knocked 300 300 of them getting out right there. The next thing she did, she backlogged the state crime lab on purpose. And whenever she backlogged the state crime lab. Um, she went and enforced this law that um, 
saying that they didn't have the manpower to review all these cases. And and so then at this time, you have Mark Gundrum, um, a Republican who was working in Madison at the time. He created the Stephen, the Avery Task Force on behalf of Stephen Avery's name. But what it was really, what it really consisted of was 20 politicians, a, bipart- a bipartisan committee sitting around, and it was to key instead of focusing on how to get these 900 people out, they focused on the the um, cost reduction for the state, and they focused on how to not let anybody else go back in, so you wouldn't have this 1.1 million dollar problem every time someone got out. And and that was one of the reasons Stephen Avery had um had filed his civil suit because you have you have him petitioning for this one point one million and he goes to the Wisconsin um a board um and, and they, they say here here's twenty five thousand dollars. A state law will only allow us to give you this petition the legislation. So then he petitions the legislation a second time and Mark Gundrum comes up with $460,000, and that was a slap on your – to Stephen Avery in the face. I mean he, he lost his, his – he lost 18 years of his life. He lost his wife, his kids, everything, you know, doing all this time in prison. So then he files his $36 million civil suit. So, so the politics involved here um, actually started when Stephen Avery's released. He become the poster child – of Wisconsin for wrongful convictions and all these bipartisan committees had got together to focus on this problem. And when Stephen files for the $36 million, um, he really ticked Lautenschlager off. And this is where the whole political um, railroad begins is, is with it's, it was a personal vendetta. I mean, it's, it's, it just gets personal. Well, tell them how they washed the uh, money through Manitowoc County. Right, right. So, so the four hundred sixty thousand um, dollars, and they didn't want to give Stephen Avery one point one million dollars, um, but they would give him four hundred and sixty thousand, and they voted on giving it to him in this new bill that was going to be called the Avery Bill. Now, Jerry Buting participated on this task force, and he was one of the the authors and drafters of this this bill from the assembly that said, "Hey, we're not going to give you 1.1 million dollars, but we'll give you 460 thousand." Well, after Avery is arrested for Teresa Hallback's death, they sit on this bill and the money after it's already been passed, and they illegally wash this 460 thousand dollars through Dennis Vogel, who was the ex. Um, district attorney in 1985 who sentenced him to um, to prison in 1985 for Penny Bernstein. They washed this $460,000 through his insurance company. Somebody got $60,000 off the top for for making the um, illegal transaction, and then they turn around and give Stephen the 400,000, and then of course 240,000. Half of that would end up in Butings. Jerry Butin's hands, and Stephen never even touched it, which was Butin got recommended to become an attorney for Stephen Avery by someone sitting on Peg Lautenschlager's commission when Butin was sitting on Peg Lautenschlager's commission. So, so I mean, it's like the transfer of politicians are just running the, the gambit and throwing the dollars around, and, and they're, they're recommending, they're pointing, appointing people, and Everybody that's attached in Stephen Avery's murder case, they're they're all politicians who are attached back to Leg, Peg Lautenschlager from the beginning of his exoneration. So it's basically the fox is guarding the hen house, but the fox or the hen house is your wife's hen house, but you and your wife are getting a divorce, and the lawyer that's on your side for the divorce is the guy that she's screwing around with. So that's essentially how this political web weaves, and that's just this aspect of it. Not all the other aspects of that's just the money washing, right? And 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 I'd like to just to state on record in um in 2005 when Jerry Butin is is recommended, uh, Stephen Avery didn't pick him out of a phone book. He was recommended by someone sitting on Peg's committee. Um, 
they just I mean how how do you have 25,000 attorneys in Wisconsin and judges you have you had 25,000 judges and attorneys people with state bar number and Jerry Buden who's been who's been playing the political side of it since 2003 December shows up to be his attorney and he he was the lead draft for the the custodial interrogation law that Brendan Dassey gets screwed over on and and never even says a word to Lautenschlager. It's like, dude, you wrote this law. This is the first child to be protected. He didn't even Buden Jerry Buden didn't even tell the Averys or Dassey families that, hey, um, I sit on a commission with Peg Lautenschlager. We meet once a month. I can go talk to her about this and say, hey, we just released your policy four days ago, six days ago before he gets coerced. None of that even happened. I mean, if if you have such a huge responsibility to to prevent tragedies like this happen in America, but you don't speak up, then why are you even sitting on the commission? Unless, unless for one thing in this story goes, you were using the political agenda against these people. And that's how it happened. I mean, because everything Stephen Avery gets convicted on and what Brendan Dassey gets convicted on were the exact political agendas that that Jerry Buden was working on. And and nobody ever he never he never blows a whistle on Lautenschlager. And now Lautenschlager has passed away. And it's like, are they going to blame him or are they going to continue to sweep things under the rug? Because now her son who is a former FBI agent, is running for attorney general. And we all know how trustworthy the FBI has been as of late. Well, this, it's, this is all just astounding. So it's, it's like instead of, instead of addressing 900 petitions to the Innocence Project, they, they, they just – they cover it all up, yeah. So you've got 900 to, to possible people that that need to be exonerated, maybe. I mean, of course, it's a case-by-case thing, but right. it's ridiculous. And, 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 uh, um, and see, they passed this law where, where you can protect um, DNA evidence has to be stored on, stored away now for so many decades. Um, where you can have it retested at any point in time. And that's another thing with Stephen Avery, um, the assistant attorney general who worked in the same office with Peg Lautenschlager during the Hallback investigation, he has refused Kathleen Zellner um, the the evidence she wants to test, and and it goes to show that politics, again, is involved where they they won't release the evidence for Zellner to test for Avery when there's a a state law that mandates any portion of testing is must be turned over and and they're they're withholding certain evidence that could free Stephen Avery right now and and that relates back to this um this bullet information and some of um the biological matter of uh, Teresa Hallback that that um, is very questionable in in this whole case. Chad, is is most of this information we're discussing in your book? Yes, yes, the majority of it is is in the book. Um, um, so so if anybody wants to to um, get a copy, I'll, I'll leave a copy a, a link with you, and people can can pull it up on on your radio uh, uh, site. Okay, and the and, other well, well, your when your call had dropped, I was lamenting about uh, how difficult it is to fight the government, be it Fed, the state, whatever it is, the governmental agencies, when they are determined for the CYA purposes that they're not going to divulge any information, uh, and and you're going to be up against a stacked deck. If, if they're appointing uh, councils for you, um, and are you uh, fellows? Uh, I'd like to hear from both of you. Optimistic or pessimistic 
that uh, this thing will ever get a see the light of day as far as being exposed to the uh, to the public, not only in Wisconsin but nationwide, as to what has gone on or what is going on, and and that there will be some justice, uh, you know, down the road. Are you, uh, Chad? We'll start with you. Are you an optimist or a pessimist when it comes to that? Um, I'd be very optimistic if somebody would blow the whistle on Lautenschlager. If you, if someone would go in, review her emails to the state crime lab, to Fassbender, to Tom Fallon, and to some of these other people, I think it would be an open-shut case, and Stephen Avery and Brendan Dassey would walk free. But, but like since the beginning of even like making a murder come out, Jerry Buden still makes people keep their eyes on Ken Kratz, who was the prosecutor, who is at the bottom of the food chain. He's he's just works for the county. I mean, why hasn't anybody said look up at the top tier? If if Lautenschlager can be exposed, I'd be very optimistic about. Brendan Dassey and Stephen Avery walking free, and that's what we're trying to do is get people to look into Lautenschlager. And that's that's the only way that I feel that they will ever leave prison if is this thing unravels and everything points back to Peg Lautenschlager, and then they say, okay, oh, shut an open case, and they walk. And that's the only that's the only way it'll ever happen. Why? Um. As time ticks by, I become less and less optimistic. Um, for example, when uh, Zellner, and I can't remember her name, when Zellner uh, just had the judge uh, in Fond du Lac, and that whole area is, I, again, I could tell you stories, um, basically had uh, the judge knock her appeal down on the most, on garbage, on a garbage principle uh, so when you're fighting things and things like that, you can only go so many times and, and with so many things against on the appeals process. Chad had mentioned, you know, uh, they're withholding the evidence, so they lost the evidence. And then, of course, you know, how does this tie in with, you know, the current administration? You know, does the current governor, does Governor Walker know anything about this? Does he have ties with it? I, I don't think so. Um, but that doesn't mean people that uh, are in the departments and the bureaucracy don't. Uh, essentially, what's going to what what it's going to take is just what Chad said. There's going to be a, somebody uh, blow the whistle now that Lautenschlager is gone. Uh, it's probably going to be somebody who uh, has whatever cancer, um, lupus, MS, something to where it's like you know what uh, I don't have much time on this planet, and they can't. Basically, it has to be a, a person with nothing. The person with nothing has nothing to lose. So until that happens. Um, there are so many ways, just like you said, you can't fight the government, you can't fight City Hall because they will bury you in paperwork, they'll bury you in everything, and the bureaucracy is a machine unto itself. You can have different people come in, obviously, you've got, you know, what, three attorney generals since then, and this is still going. Um, a lot of them may not even have any sort of uh, dealings with this case, but yet here we are uh, still talking about it. So as time goes by, and even from um, the top, uh, you know, with all the things that are going on now with the, the highest levels of uh, the FBI, et cetera, I have less and less faith um, that any of this is going to be resolved for that reason, because if you've got people at all these levels pulling a CYA, how is the truth ever going to come to light? So I, I'm not all that optimistic, but you know what? That's why we're here is to, uh, is to keep fighting this fight. Well, I have to tell you again, my overall experience is dealing with uh, myself, a case I'm investigating, and the uh, the the members of the Transparency Project who are in situations where they're trying to get information from the police as, as to what happened uh, in the investigation into the deaths of their loved ones. And, and the difficulties in the CYA, and, and like you said, Juan, they bury you in paperwork. You know, everything you do requires some type of 
of paperwork or submission, and then you don't hear back, and then you got to follow up, and then they tell you they're not going to they're not going to share information. I mean, it's just an endless thing, and if you don't have the stamina, they're going to win every time. And even if you have the stamina, they still might come out ahead. But uh, they they certainly can discourage anybody from from trying to move forward with this. And I think both of you would probably agree with that, that uh, that's part of the defense, if you will, that these agencies use is uh, the stall tactics and the uh, the endless paperwork and, and so forth. So are you are you both in agreement with me on that one? Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. It boils down to absolute immunity and qualified immunity that sheriff's office, their personnel, and district attorneys are are um, given. You know, and it's it's they can do what they want to when they want to, and it's a very scary thing. I mean, if if our families in America want to start having real justice in our country. We need to pass a, a bill, some type of bill that that limits this absolute and and um, equality that or equality um, stuff that they have the the protection because that they're they're empowered from the beginning just by being sworn in to protect citizens, but we're not getting protection from them if they can do what they want when they want to. I think uh, there's a local radio talk show host here. His name is Dan Connery, and he's a former NYPD undercover narcotics detective. And he said something that I think uh, that I definitely agree with, and I think most people in America would agree with, is that, you know, when it comes to law enforcement, you know, people support law enforcement. You know, uh, they back the badge. They understand that, you know, these people are, are human beings, too. They can make mistakes. They have families that they have to go home to. And these people take an oath to protect, to serve, and to take a bullet for somebody that they may not know. Um, but when you take that oath, just like any politician, just like any judge, any doctor, when you take that oath to serve and protect, and you violate that oath, Dan Connery says, you know, if that is the case and you violate that oath, you do double the time for any – and, you know, I, I think that should be held true. And, and we should hold them to a higher standard, and there should be a higher standard of actually, you know – um, when it comes to police officers, if you made an honest mistake, okay, uh, we get that. Admit to it and say, well, this is a learning experience and try to make some sort of amends. But when it comes to situations like this or situations uh, that I used in one of my videos by Angela Garmley, who uh, 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 there's a judge in Murray County, uh, Judge Cochran in, in Georgia, and she refused to sexual advances and she basically had drugs planted. That judge has six officers, six officers to plant drugs before he found two that would do it, and not a one of those six said anything about it. It's like, I understand you got to have a brotherhood. I understand that you have to, yeah, you know, uh, but this kind of stuff is ridiculous. And, and in most, I know for a fact in Wisconsin, the, um, the law enforcement, uh, not unions, not, the law enforcement uh, uh, basically political segment is very, very strong. Uh, here, as it is in most states. And you know what? That, that's a good thing because, again, we need to protect our police officers. We need to protect the people who are protecting us. But when that oath is violated, that needs to be dealt with. And you can't have, because if we're going to hold them to a higher standard and we're going to give them the ability that nobody else has to put us in handcuffs, to put us in a cell, then they need to be held just as accountable as anybody else. And that is what needs to change. I'd like to make Very a well suggestion. Said. Yeah, I, absolutely. And I, I'd like to make a suggestion because what you are trying to do is what Delilah and I are trying to do through the Transparency Project. And obviously, uh, from the title, uh, we we are fighting the government or governmental agencies. Uh, and maybe fighting isn't the right word. We're confronting. Maybe that would be a better word. Uh, I'd invite... Uh, one or both of you to to join us, join that group, because we're sharing a lot of information and experiences about what people have done to get, try to get their cases moved forward. And uh, uh, you guys obviously have some experiences to share, and you might get some ideas from what some of our members have done 
and different approaches because I, I think we're all after the same thing here. I think the goals are very similar. So um, if if you'd like, the invitation is there to join the, the Transparency Project on Facebook. It's a closed group. But uh, we'd certainly welcome your membership and input. Um, the the other thing now, as far as getting this case uh, advanced, I'm I'm trying to think of ways to do it. It, it. Could could somebody file a FOIA request, for example, to get these various emails and records? Would that be something that's doable, or is that out of the question? Or uh, a program such as uh, uh, Crime Watch Daily or something, where they actually investigate and contact uh, law enforcement and so forth? Or is there maybe some way to get to the governor? Uh, I know in the feds right now, there's a lot of talk about special counsels and special prosecutors. Uh, I'm just wondering if the governor uh, Walker could, if he was, if his office became aware of this uh, and the allegations could appoint some type of commission or uh, the equivalent of a special counsel or prosecutor to look into it. Um, Are any of those ideas feasible, do you think, or they all been tried and uh, discarded? Well, here, here's here's the one thing that you have to deal with with 2005 and Stephen Avery and Teresa Hallback. You had um, Governor Doyle. Jim Doyle was the most powerful governor, you know, at the time, and he was about as powerful as the president. Um, and and that, that's on that's that's uh, stated by by um, Wisconsin politicians themselves and then you had Peg Lautenschlager who was a US attorney general hand selected in the 1990s by Bill Clinton and she was trained under the Clinton administration so so between Doyle and Lautenschlager you had a very very powerful i mean it's like almost invincible set of people behind this um uh, Lautenschlager, you know, she spent 13, 14 years working with Janet Reno, even on an FBI committee um, that that trained the uppermost 44 Wisconsin counties and their police officers, their police chiefs and sheriff's association. So going to somebody like Walker, um, he he really does it want anything to do with it he tries to stand clear of it brad schimmel the current attorney general he um he objects to um avery and dassey getting out but that's because working in his office is assistant attorney general tom fallon who was part of the lottenschlager administration and he's been putting little bugs and um in Schimmel's ears since they've been in office about this case. So as so so the people to go to those channels to get to investigate, I mean it would just be blocked and written off because you have the political powers right there and you have law enforcement to to stop any any avenue. And and it's like um Jerry Buden and, and Dean Strang were doing these tours well, Fassbender and Weigert started doing tours at the same time to protect the state. And since Attorney General Brad Schimmel has paid off media outlets and channels to not take um, people's stories that that are like, I, I mean, Nancy Grace is, is a big supporter of the prosecution team um, that put Avery and Dassey behind bars because she was approached in 2005 and and I've tried to get on with with Nancy Grace to talk about Fastbender's conduct and she she won't have us on the show because she's a personal friend of Fastbender they met out at at CrimeCon and I mean they they're just the the state attorney general is paying media um that there's there's a rumor going around that that Nancy's serious channel her her radio um, show has even accepted money from Attorney General Schimmel and of Wisconsin. I don't know how true that is or not, but 
But if it's true, then it, it'll explain why she doesn't allow allow us on the show. And and it's it's I mean I mean something the the public needs to do something. There needs to be some kind of overall federal bill passed because before anybody can really do anything in this case or any other cases, we do need the transparency. We do need we do need um, the equality of of reviewing stuff and and it, it's just a mess. So yeah, I I agree. And and this you know from everything you've said today, you and Juan, uh, and my own experience. Uh, but this case cries out, I think for a real careful review by an outsider, somebody that's not uh, contaminated, uh, you know, or corrupt uh, with the political system. And if you can find such, such a person and, uh, but, but it needs definitely to be looked into with all these allegations. I mean, it's, uh, as Chad just said, it's a mess. And it it's it it somebody some agency needs to get involved here, and and get to the bottom of all this stuff. And if if people have been wrongly incarcerated, they need to be let out. Uh, if people have committed uh, crimes or malfeasance, they need to be held accountable. And it uh, it's one of these cases that can't just end here. There's got to be more to it as far as uh, justice goes. Absolutely. What does what you say, Delilah? Oh, I totally agree with everything you just said, Denny. And it's, you know, I think Catherine Zellner is is a terrific attorney. And I think, you know, if anybody can make some headway, um, she can do it. Um, but, again, justice, it's, it's a word. It's a word that somehow or another our justice system is not taken very seriously for the citizens of the United States. And this case, um, screams of it. So what, what are your plans? Is there a strategy from here? Uh, I mean, a specific thing or is it, is the, is the main strategy to get the word out and try to get uh, a public wave, if you will, uh, demanding some type of, uh, of uh, investigation into this well, whole thing. We're we're currently making like a, a docu series ourselves that that will um, expose the political um, agenda behind this case. Um, I, I think that a lot of the political agenda should have been left in um, making a murderer, but it skips from. The exoneration and goes from 2003 and goes straight into the murder scene in 2005. But you have two year gap there, um, with Jerry Butin being being highly involved himself. And I think if um, we can execute this docu series on what goes on in departments of justices, not only in Wisconsin but it could possibly be going on in every other state in America, I think more people will wake up and realize and try to do something, you know, to, to, to pass these laws and, and our states are federal, you know, for the whole country. And, and until that happens, you know, we're all just, we can be a victim at any given time of a crime we haven't committed. Um, okay. We're down to our last few seconds. So what I'd like to do is as you develop your, your series, Please let us know, and we'll promote it um, through our website. And uh, the book is Beyond Avery Road by Chad Keller. And, uh, guys, please uh, consider my invitation for the Transparency Project because we need all the input we can get and uh, and sharing of ideas, I think, to uh, you know try to make things work. Uh, so thank you very much, Chad. Okay, I appreciate it. Thank you, uh, Chad and Juan, for being with us today. And uh, to our listeners, uh, uh, thank you. And until the next broadcast, stay safe.